Thank you for tuning in to the Great Work Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Amanda Peterson, your host. Before we get into the episode, please make sure to like, subscribe, rate me five stars, um, but only if I deserve it. Um, today, I am meeting with a new friend of mine, Jess. We met on TikTok Live and we bonded over talking about the United Nations and how biased it is against Israel. The United Nations is brought up a lot when we talk about Israel and people cite the United Nations a lot when talking about Israel, like, oh, it must be so bad the United Nations says so. And I think if you knew the facts behind it, you might feel differently. So Jess is extremely knowledgeable on the topic. Her parents are Israeli. She lives in Great Britain. Um, so we kind of went through some facts that we know about the UN, but maybe you may not. So thank you, and we'll go ahead and get into this episode. Okay, welcome. This is Jess. We are here to talk about the UN. Do you want to give a little bit about your background first, Jess? Sure. Um, so my name's Jess. I'm 28. I'm living in the UK. Um, I have a really mixed background. I'm Jewish for the most part. Um, I am mixed of Israeli and then a mix of Austrian as well. Um, half of my family um, were from the Middle East. The other half were Holocaust survivors. And then I've had um, members of my family who didn't survive the Holocaust. So I'm a really mixed bag. I'm a cocktail of all sorts of nationalities. Um, for the most part, I'm someone who is super invested and educated on what's going on in Israel at the moment because it affects me so directly. Totally. Well, thank you so much for your, you know willingness to do this for sure, for sure. Uh, so i think to start this off what the united nations is talked about like it's this global bastion of like morals and ethics and it's this like abstaining moral people in the world and this is who we should listen to at all times and you and i both know that that's not true <laughs> um even though that's the way it's presented, especially in the Western world. Um, it seemed, I don't know if that's because of Model UN. I don't know if you guys have that in the UK, but in America, we have like kids who join Model UN and like pretend they're different countries. I don't know why that is, but these people are not saints in the world. And I think it's important for us to share the actual facts of the United Nations, not to say that we can't have this organization, but it should be looked at with a huge grain of salt and people look at it like it's the moral high ground. The UN is largely responsible for the Israel problem in the first place. Um, so just, I don't know if you want to go in a little bit in detail about that. Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you a bit of info about what I know what the UN is. Um, first things first, the UN has no real legitimacy or sway within the government the un is an intergovernmental intergovernmental organization what that is is essentially it's a bougie ngo it's a bougie non-governmental organization um so don't let it fool you that people seem to assume that the un has governance um whilst it may sound like they have credibility um all that intergovernmental really means is that it's an organization that was created by the agreement of three or more countries in the world um that mm -hmm. say three or more governments that's to say literally country representatives um but the un itself has 
so many nonsensical qualities um that we sort of need to debunk and like look further into before we can actually say yeah you know we've got to abide by what the UN says um so I mean the first thing that like is glaringly obvious is that last year the Human Rights Council was chaired by Iran who don't exactly sit at the pinnacle of human rights I mean it's it's nonsensical I don't know if you want to add anything there well yeah I mean human rights is this term that in the west we think means what we think it means um Iran has had 500 executions by their religious and moral police this year if they have something called human rights I don't think they abide by the same definition as us and so we're using these terms that again make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside like human rights but I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure Iran feels it has some degree of human rights within its government, but it's not the same as ours. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, for them to chair that organization is crazy. Um, the UN largely acts through soft power. So soft power means they don't have these condemnations that they offer have zero legitimacy, like you said. So they can offer this up all day, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything no one has to follow them and this grouping of governments like something like 75 percent of the un is made up of dictators exactly. so to be exactly. condemned by putin like do we care but that's I what mean, people are like. the other members in the un sort of immediately delegitimize it you've got representatives of countries like burkina faso chad congo uh, Libya, China, Russia, Liberia, Ma- Myanmar, North Korea. Uh, right. Sierra Leone. These these aren't exactly the world's like democracies, and they're not really the kind of people we want to be sort of speaking on our human rights because they don't really uh, have any of those qualities innately within them. Um, I think it's so telling that last year in 2023's uh, UN meeting, which essentially looked over the whole of 2022. Um, there were 15 condemnations against Israel. Israel was not at war last year, right? There was nothing going on in Israel that was significant last year. There was, in fact, a ceasefire in place. Um, But there were 15 condemnations against Israel. Now, if we look further into sort of what was going on in the world, um, we look at what was going on in Iran, which was, you know, the massive political unrest, uh, murders, and, uh, you know, the government um, essentially banning women from having any sort of rights, killing a woman for not wearing a hijab. You know, if we look at um, what was going on in China, um, more than a million uh, Muslims persecuted in concentration camps, hundreds of thousands of people sentenced to prison terms just for being uh, Muslim. Myanmar, there's a civil war. Uh, if So if we look at what is sort of going on in the world, Russia and Ukraine, and then we look at the fact that Israel got 15 condemnations last year, Iran got one, China got okay. zero, Myanmar got one, and Russia, who was at a legitimate stage of warfare, got six. So Israel got more than every single other country doing these atrocious warfare around the world. Israel got more than all of them combined. So, I mean, we can really, like, just laugh at the UN at this point. It's it's bizarre. They're so biased against Israel, and you have to wonder why. 
I think one of the reasons why is because the UN has had some pretty big fails in the, in their day. And I think the issue of the Palestinian people is one of their biggest. But if we want to go into a few of their other ones, I mean, the Rwandan genocide, they knew that was coming and they did not step in to stop it. Thousands of Tutsis in Rwanda were killed um, due to the Rwandan genocide. The UN saw it coming and did not step in to help. They warned other countries that a genocide was coming, but their peacekeeping missions and stuff did not help. I think they may have had a couple safe zones. That's it. Mm -hmm. So the UN is like this bastion of they can offer a condemnation, but they can't actually do anything. Or if they can, they don't. Um, How they kind of made this whole problem in, in the in the Palestinian question, I mean, the United Nations set up a lot of these refugee camps. They got a lot worse in Gaza than they did in the West Bank, and that's because the West Bank was a part of Jordan. So these UN schools that they sponsor and that we fund through our tax dollars in the West, we're teaching, they teach the most anti-Semitic things in, in the world to these to these young kids in Gaza, teaching them in their math textbooks, two dead Jews plus two dead Jews is four dead Jews. That's in their like kindergarten and first grade math textbooks. I don't know about you, Jess. We're from different countries. That was never in mine. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> like they they allowed this kind of the Palestinian national identity was not formed until after 1948, and a lot of it was formed in Gaza. Because in the West Bank, they were to be absorbed by the Kingdom of Jordan, so they wanted them to become Jordanian. They offered them citizenship. In Gaza, Egypt occupied them, but they didn't ever allow them to become Egyptians. So they just kind of left them alone. The UN was supposed to be the peacekeeping mission there. But instead, they, they conjured up this victim mentality that they taught them in these schools that's your land you have the right to go get it from the evil lying jews that's been taught for 75 years you start to understand why there's this group of people who's willing to go in and murder 1400 people in their beds and at a music festival yeah they've been conditioned and uh i i don't like to use my term brainwash because people always refute what we as sort of pro-israelis say anyway so there's no point saying brainwashed but they've been conditioned um and taught within their schools from the age of two or three up until the age of 18 when they finish school um that palestine is theirs um that there is no case for any israeli living within palestine um and that death uh is beautiful and that it's an honor to be martyred and that jihad is the highest um level of sort of religiosity that you can get to so they these are the things that have been drummed into them for what 15 years of their lives so it's no surprise that we sort of see the ongoing year-on-year terrorist attacks that happen within israel but also the pinnacle of all terrorist attacks that happened on october the 7th it's it's i mean it was bound to happen at some point and that's horrendous right and i mean the United Nations, if they had, if they looked more over the curriculum in these schools, if they stepped in and said, you know what, we're not going to give you all this funding to your hospitals if you put terrorist cells underneath them. You know, if like 
we've known about these tunnels and this infrastructure for years. Hamas did tours of it for Vice News, I believe, in like 2014. Yeah. Like, yeah. we've known about these tunnels. The UN and other NGOs on the ground know about all of these things, and they just seem to look past it because they they believe that this is some oppressed group of people. And while I can... I understand that they do face oppression there. Absolutely. I don't think that can be argued. You know, well, a lot of it's because of this terrorism, which Israel needs to stop. Because if they don't stop this, then more deaths happen in Israel. And I, I just want less death, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I think we should all just want less death. Yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunately, we're at a point in 2023 where we can literally look at the UN and say, the UN is actually complicit in this. Um, the UN has done one, I believe, one resolution against the state of Palestine maybe three years ago when they found in one of their schools, in one of the UN schools, they found a rocket launcher. Uh, so they condemned Palestine for that. That was the only condemnation, I believe, against the state of Palestine. Um, so we really need to look at why and we need to take it back to like the bare basics of what the UN is, uh, which is just basically like, a representative from every country around the world for the most part um within that board of people there is one jewish state israel within the un there are 56 muslim countries represented and by default uh just because of the sort of muslim pact that they have within with inter-country relations and whatever they are almost conditioned and posed to support uh to support anything muslim and uh, denounce the Jewish state altogether. They just they just don't like the idea of Israel. Um, so we can really sort of conclude that in the UN there's like this fundamental bias uh, that determines year in year out the the amount of condemnations that Israel receives. So uh, it it just almost becomes defunct from the offset uh, because no one's actually there fighting Israel's corner. In fact, it's got fifty six countries who all dislike the state of Israel continually picking and nitpicking at absolutely anything that Israel does regardless of sort of the level of what it actually does it's it there's no there's no proportionality at all right well and then just the worst the most recent worst case of the um condemnations is at the last meeting the emergency meeting of the UN a couple weeks ago they at the meeting where they voted for a ceasefire in israel for israel to do a ceasefire um they refused to condemn hamas for october 7th yeah so that's that governing body so everyone's yelling about the ceasefire but the un couldn't even condemn hamas for that act of terror really interesting there's a there's another ngo that almost monitors the the progress of the un it's called un watch um and it just basically uh monitors the performance of the UN by the yardsticks of its very own charter. Um, their their level-headedness is a lot more clear. Um, and I want to read you a quote, actually, from what they said last year when Israel received 15 condemnations. It's a bit long-winded, so I warn you in advance, but it's very, very telling. Um, so their president said, the UN's latest assault on Israel with a torrent of one-sided resolutions is surreal. Israel is Middle East's only democracy, yet the UN empowering the region's despots. It's absurd that out of a total of 28 UN General Assembly resolutions this year, more than half are focused on one single nation, Israel. 
make no mistake, the purpose of these lopsided texts is not to promote human rights, but to demonise the Jewish state. It's clear and simple. Uh, so I think we've pretty much debunked the UN at this point. <laughs> yes, definitely. The UN is not the only non-governmental actor or intergovernmental actor in this region. Um, non-governmental organizations also also do a lot of harm over there, in my opinion. The World Health Organization, things like that. Um, I think what we need to remember about the UN, right, is that it's made up of every government, and not every government is someone who I believe we should care if condemn us. But NGOs are also, they're looked at again as like, oh, they're so much better than us because they don't even go there for profit. Like, they're not for profit. They're better. The thing is, being that they're not productive or self-sufficient in the sense that they're not self-producing and self-taking in money, they need to rely heavily on donations from other parts of the world in order to function and operate. And that's not in and of itself bad, but in order to get donations, in order to get donations now from governments like the ones, the same ones that want to keep condemning Israel and from people in the West, like you and me or any woman sitting around the world, because donations come from women a lot, they appeal to our heartstrings. So they show these videos of this, oh my God, this oppressed people and look at how bad things are for them like give us money so we can help them it tugs at our heartstrings to see that right we've all seen like the puppy commercials i don't know if you guys have that those in britain like the charities why donate to because it's right it's It's like and and like they kind of take advantage of us especially as women that we want we feel bad like again who doesn't feel bad for like these kids who grow up in gaza who don't know any different like how sad that is but at the same time if they're tugging on your heartstrings to keep you getting like to keep people donating money and then they don't actually affect any change or really end up helping them because they teach these kids to martyr themselves for a cause that will never be complete they will never have from the river to the sea to be palestine and like, in addition to that, a lot of the charitable donations that actually go into Gaza don't end up in the hands of the Gaza population. Mm-hmm. End up in the hands that, of the Hamas leaders. So, uh, and this is something that's continually refuted. But I mean, you only need to look at um, Sinwar uh, preaching from his laptop in his five-star hotel in Qatar to know that that's right. okay. It's, I mean, are we. I was on a live um, on TikTok yesterday where a woman said there's fundamentally no proof that the Hamas leaders are billionaires. And I said, have you watched uh, the the Hamas leaders actually directing their people to go and do jihad from the comfort of their marble gold-lined bathrooms? It's it's insane to me. They live on private jets. Their sons drive Lamborghinis. Um, They have palaces within Gaza, which is really a third-world country. It's it's a no-brainer. It's 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 fundamental. Like denialism is so. They have a billion-dollar churn every year, a billion-dollar churn. Obvi- like they, the leaders of Hamas and like other PA leaders, they have a higher net worth than like Oprah. They're worth three and four billion dollars. I think she's worth two. Yeah. So Oprah they- and all she's done for the world. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 
is worth half as much as the Hamas leaders. That's crazy. Yeah. And then we uh, we need to look at where these donations are going because they pull on our heartstrings. We feel inclined to donate, hoping that we're helping the people. But there's been 17 years and not a single person has ha received any help. And that's very clear in just how Gaza operates as a state because if the donations actually went to the right place, we would have seen a thriving economy by now. Right, right. Well, and the Abraham Accords, the latest peace agreement in the Middle East, which normalized relations between the UAE and Israel. And I believe a few others have signed on since. And Saudi Arabia will enter the Abraham Accords probably sometime after this war. Part of that plan was also to develop um, a better econ like economic relations for the people of Gaza. I think that that's important to note because basically that... It, what was revolutionary about the Abraham Accords was they said, okay, look, we got all of these Arab states to commit to investing this much. And what is an investment different than a donation? Well, they would have to see some return on investment, right? Yeah. So they said, we'll invest this money, but we need to see it return. So we don't want to see the building blown up, essentially, um, or used for terrorism. But you need to put these, like, legal things in place such as property rights such as like very normal things that we have in the united states or britain or anywhere in the west that they just don't fully have in gaza because they can take over anything and make it hamas really right now um so we in order to invest that i think it's almost 50 percent unemployment there i think it's actually more um, and I think yeah. people that are employed are employed on terrible wages, which is why there are 40,000 work permits given by Israel to the Gaza population. So a lot of people in Gaza um, go into Israel every day to work and they earn, I think it's roughly like eight times more than they would in Gaza. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the yeah. irony and the, the sad thing about that is uh, they were the people that were uh, for the last two years, gathering intelligence on Israel in order to conduct October the 7th. So really, what's going to happen now is there's no longer going to be any work permits from Gaza to Israel. So it's going to go back to mm -hmm. living on the living on the bread line. Um, right. For these people who were, who were earning significant amounts of money um, by Gaza standards. So, yeah. Right. Right. But if they can develop their own thriving economy there... It that will help a lot because, you know, and and I've even posted videos to TikTok, but everyone reports them showing the luxury car dealerships in Gaza, showing these beautiful um, restaurants in the Mediterranean Sea. They have luxurious things there because, again, there are people with money, you know, because that billion dollars goes somewhere. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be it could have been a mix between UAE and Singapore. It's this beautiful strip of land right on the Mediterranean Sea. It could have been that, but instead they line their own pockets, the leaders of Hamas, and they, you know, build rockets. So hopefully once they're rooted out, no one does that anymore. Exactly. Um, it really, it was just a poor, it's been 17 years of poor investment. Um, 
year in, year out, they receive billions in funding. I reckon 90% of it goes into the pockets of the leadership. This is just speculation, but it's just from what I've seen. Uh, the other 10% probably goes into sort of arming themselves up with rockets, guns, etc. Uh, and then 0.1% goes towards people. Yeah. It's just a reflection of what actually goes on there. Um, and then people say that, you know, Gaza um, have run out of food and electricity and water. Uh, but the, the irony of it is no one addresses the fact that they haven't run out of rockets because they still have <laughs> hundreds of rockets per day. Uh, they don't ever really hit the ground in Israel because Israel did properly invest its funding uh, into things like the Iron Dome and bomb shelters for the people um, mm -hmm. because that's what it looks like to protect your society. Um, but Hamas, uh, as the governing party in Gaza, has done nothing to protect their civilians. Nothing. Right. What is What did the Hamas leader say the other day? The tunnels are for Hamas. And the people on the ground, that's the UN's problem. Yeah. Yeah. He, and as we mentioned earlier, that, that spokesperson needs a new day job because he, he's making a mockery of what Hamas is. Um, but people will still say it's AI anyway. So it's, I mean, it's besides the point because I've been told, you know, my TikTok about that got deleted um, for hate speech. When it was, it was literally just a recording of the of the TV interview that he did on Memory, yeah. the Lebanese uh, organization. Um, people will still say it's fake, um, but he essentially shot himself in the foot by saying uh, that they don't invest in bomb shelters for the people uh, or allow the people to enter into their tunnels, which are essentially bomb shelters for them, uh, because it's, the people aren't their responsibility, um, and that's very telling. Very telling. So the last piece of like UN NGO, they don't only offer condemnations, but they also have this kind of, they oversee international law, which is brought up all the time. Israel commits all these war crimes. They don't talk about how Hamas just went and explicitly targeted civilians. And that is an obvious blatant war crime. Um, they don't talk about that, but the Geneva Conventions are a group of really where they came up with international law, determining how countries will fight fair. This is not, these are not the first things that were ever created to talk about fighting fair. The Pact of Umar was created by, you know, I believe when Muslims invaded and took over Jerusalem, which basically gave rights to jews and christians living there um so that's another thing that really bothers me when people talk about like oh well the geneva convention like fighting fair like not only that's not a 20th century phenomenon like this was known hundreds of years ago by the muslims that they should protect and not attack the people that they conquer in colonialism quite frankly um so what changed now? I think the worst thing about the Geneva Conventions is it laid out explicitly what's right. And these terrorist groups don't follow any of that, but they make it tricky for the people that they're fighting to not violate international law or toe the line. They do that on purpose. So they hide all their stuff in a mosque or in a hospital which makes that mosque or hospital a legitimate military target. So 
if Israel has to strike that target at some point, they cry and say, well, uh, they struck a mosque, not not mentioning what they put in it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the Geneva Conventions were created sort of after the World War or during the World War Two, I believe, um, to benchmark what is uh, what would be eligible in, in warfare, essentially. Um, so I'll tap into, like, the four original conventions briefly um, and then I'll sort of show how it's reflected within the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict. So the first two points are uh, not relevant here, which is for the amelioration uh, of the condition of the wounded, um, i.e. rescuing them, um, both on the land and then the second point is at sea. So we can kind of dismiss them for now. Uh, the third and fourth points are the ones that I think are really interesting. Uh, the third point is the treatment of prisoners at war. And the fourth point is the protection of civilians. Um, so if we look at point three, um, what we know to be fact is that Hamas have taken hostages. Um, so this is always flipping the narrative because this is how Hamas are now breaking the Geneva Conventions. Uh, we know that Hamas have taken hostages, uh, which is against the Geneva Conventions and therefore is actually against international law. But um, Gaza, you know, in Gaza, they'll say that they're not hostages, really. They're like prisoners of war or they'll say that they're, they're essentially leverage. Um, but we already know that by fact, uh, Hamas is not acting within the Geneva Conventions because three hostages have been killed. So they're not being protected by the Geneva Conventions that says that the treatment of prisoners of war should be fair and just and um, they should be res respected. They're not being respected. They're being killed. Um, so that's point three. Point four of the Geneva Conventions is obviously the most important point, um, which clarifies what should be done for the innocent civilians caught in crossfire. Um, so the general consensus is hospitals should be protected, schools should be protected, religious um, religious grounds should be protected, and there should be neutralised zones. Um, but uh, in more recent years, um, the Geneva Conventions has been updated to reflect the current uh, state of the world. Um, so the Geneva Conventions no longer apply if it can be proven that the protected areas are being used incorrectly or with ulterior motives. Um, we know that in the Israel-Palestine conflict, um, it's been categorically proven that schools, hospitals and mosques are all used for terrorist hubs uh, and terrorist activities. So therefore, the Geneva Conventions, uh, unfortunately for the pro-Palestinian people who want to uh, shout about it from the rooftops, they don't apply here. They no longer yeah. have the protected status. Um, um, Israel is acting within every remit of the, of the Geneva Conventions. It has to because it knows exactly what uh, propaganda does to Israel. So it is acting within every inch of its life in, in complete and utter guidelines and it's following the Geneva Conventions to a T. Um, it should also be said that uh, the, the entire premise of human shield use by uh, Hamas is precisely refuted by the Geneva Conventions to begin with. Um, the the whole premise of human shields goes against protecting their own civilians, so it's almost like a skew of a Geneva Convention in a way that we've not really seen it before, where um, the government are essentially not protecting their own civilians, let alone the civilians of Israel who they're actually trying to kill. So it, mm -hmm. uh, Geneva Conventions are just... I don't really think we can even look to them, but they are the upholding international law. So, but we we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Hamas doesn't follow them. 
Israel follows them uh, to a T. Uh, so there's not really much we can say on it at this point. It's well, and I think the reason Hamas does what they do. I mean, they they specifically set it up to make Israel look bad. They know what the Geneva Conventions say. They are never going to follow it, but they make they use it to make Israel look like the bad guy. One of the ways they do this, I think one of the shortcomings of the Geneva Convention is they use terms like collective punishment and proportionality, and those have a very different, they have a very different definition to like our ears, just like in general English speaking, rather than what they mean in terms of international law. Collective punishment, they're not collectively punishing Gaza if they are if they're targeting military targets, even though those military targets also have civilian uses. Proportionality. This is the one that I think is the most misunderstood because I think to our ears, proportionality would make it seem like there can't be a bigger military targeting a, liter a smaller military. There can't be way more deaths on one side than the other. Well, in reality, proportionality means that if a country is going to strike a military target, the benefit of taking out that military target must be greater than the than the understood collateral damage, meaning civilian casualties or um, damage to property. Um, un the unfortunate reality of war is that there's death of non-combatants and that's a terrible thing and that's why we should avoid war there's nothing in the geneva convention that a larger power cannot attack a smaller power um that would be crazy right um one of the reasons people build up these big militaries is to try and make people not attack them right but in this case the little guy hamas attacked the big guy knowing what was coming for them they knew that this would result in a ground invasion with a lot of civilian casualties because their military targets are kept near civilians and they didn't care they attacked anyways because the more civilian casualties they have on their side or they can say they have on their side because they lie about the numbers that's a better that's a better look for them and it gains more sympathy in the west which ultimately what it does is it makes us in the West not trust our governments. Again, like these emotional people, they especially prey on women. These, they prey on our emotions and they, and we see that and we say like, this is terrible. Like we, there should be, it's so unfair. Well, it's not unfair because Hamas asked for it, you know? So I think it's hard. They use these terms again, like collective punishment and proportionality as like a mic drop on social media that, oh, Israel's committing war crimes. It's not a mic drop. None of these people are international lawyers. Half of them don't even have their picture on their account, you know, or their real name. So, and I think a lot of them are probably bot farms. So, yeah. you know, when, when people are invoking international law, just understand on social media that none of them... I mean, the premise of international law and the premise of, like, it has to be agreed, it has to be accepted by both sides. Um, it can't apply to one country and not the other. So Hamas attacked and broke basically every fundamental law within international law within the Geneva Conventions. 
uh, Israel is still trying to act within the premise of international law. But we can't forget that Hamas broke every law in the book to begin with. Mm. Um, and I think that the population of uh, pro-Palestinian, the army that we see on TikTok, the young kids speaking out on the war crimes in Israel, have almost forgotten the war crimes that Hamas committed. Um, I disregard them as if they were never breaking international law because of 75 years of oppression and da, 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 da. it doesn't mis it doesn't uh, like we can't forget that international law applies to both parties um and if it doesn't apply to Hamas because of 75 years of oppression then it shouldn't apply to Israel because of 75 years of terrorism it's it works both ways if we're gonna apply international law we apply it in both instances, but if we're going to disregard it, and we have to disregard it in both instances, it's not a, a it, this isn't a proportionality battle here. This is one side is has got a better army and it's got better protection. One side is a terrorist cell. Um, that doesn't mean to say that they're not a, a smaller threat than Israel. They're both equally uh, capable of committing atrocities, uh, but Israel does tend to act in line with international law, whereas Hamas doesn't really care at all. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important thing, too, is Hamas didn't only, like, they didn't stop committing acts of war on October 7th because they haven't returned the hostages. And every rocket that they launch over, and like you said, they're still launching rockets. They have not run out of rockets. Every rocket that they launch is targeted at civilian areas. And if Israel didn't have the Iron Dome or if the Iron Dome failed they would, that would hit civilian targets and kill civilians in Israel. People forget that um, Hamas, Hamas rockets aren't, um, aren't like Israeli rockets. Israeli rockets, our military is super well trained in how to, how to fire rockets. Hamas are like kids with, with rocket launchers being told how to do them. They, they're not, they're not particularly well targeted. So we say that they're targeting schools and hospitals. We don't know where they're going to land. No one knows where they're going to land. You know, they've hit, they've hit, got 30% of their own rockets hit within Gaza. Um, right. We've seen that. We've and those deaths that. are blamed on Israel. And they're still blamed on Israel. Um, their rockets mm -hmm. are indiscriminate. Um, we can't really look at their, you know, thank God for the Iron Dome, because if we did not have the Iron Dome, I guarantee you, we would have seen significant destruction in Israel. Um, no one talks about it enough. I mean, uh, no. the same hospital in Israel got hit three times in the last six weeks, but no one talks about that because it's not. It's for some reason the media doesn't. It doesn't think it's relevant when a hospital in Israel gets hit. Um, mm -hmm. But Hamas rockets are just indiscriminate, and and it's continual rocket fire. I don't think that people know that it's still happening just because they don't hit the ground because the Iron Dome is a phenomenon. Um, right. It, it's not picked up on in the media enough and it's troubling well and then also since they don't aim they they don't really know where they're going i mean thank god for the iron dome for protecting the mosques in israel because there's many of them including al-aqsa the third holiest site in islam i mean who knows if they would have hit al-aqsa by now it's much harder to launch rockets from gaza into jerusalem it's too far they mainly aim for like around gaza and up to tel aviv but i mean who knows and i'm really worried the houthis have in yemen are have declared war on israel so they have long-range capabilities 
their missiles could potentially hit a lot down in southern israel um most of their most of their launches so far have hit either our like or u.s military ships in the red sea or somewhere in saudi arabia or somewhere in jordan so they're not they're not sophisticated either but i mean think what would happen if they launched and hit an arab neighborhood or al-aqsa i mean can you imagine so we need to thank the air known for protecting the arabs too yeah it, it would be blamed straight on the israelis we know that um mm-hmm. and then the world yeah. the world's parents would agree that it was israel straight away um and then israel would provide indefinite proof that it wasn't them um the media would then apologize and say it wasn't israel but the parents would already have accepted that it was israel so they'll continue telling people on tiktok and on uh social media uh that it was them uh and the population will believe that it was israel regardless so in this situation um we can't win i'm saying we because i'm israeli we as a country as a nation we can't win um so we either just accept that we can never win um in terms of the media um and just sort of ignore the noise or we succumb to it and we say do you know what we're, we're not going to be israeli anymore we're gonna we're gonna leave the statement that will never happen um Right. Israel is the, Israel's the only Jewish country in the world. Uh, Jews have been persecuted for long enough in history to know that they need a safe space. Everyone needs a safe space. Uh, there are f- like 50 Muslim countries around the world, more. Um, if shit hits the fan for a Muslim, they can more than happily go to any of these Muslim countries for asylum. Jews can't go anywhere. If touch wood, please God, it never happens again, there is a second Holocaust. We see what happens to the Jews around the world. They they get put into concentration camps and eventually killed. Um, the Jews only have one place to go to, aside from obviously America and the UK, who you would hope would protect the Jews at all costs. But aside from that, it's Israel for the Jews. So it's, it's not going anywhere. Um, and the sooner that people accept that reality rather than fueling a perpetual state of warfare, the better it will be for everyone, not just the Jews. The better it will be for the Gazans, the Palestinians, the Muslims, everyone. Everyone will just be better off if they accept it. It's it's common sense. It really is. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Please promote what you want to promote. For sure. For sure. Always will. Um, just want to say that it's obviously really nice doing this with uh we're obviously two quite educated women and Hamas could never mm-hmm. post. Hamas could never. <laughs> could never. Uh, let alone having two women representatives. They were they are denied education regardless. So they could never speak mm-hmm. to this. So it's nice to be able to be in a panel where we both sort of know what we're talking about or we're really um, representative. So thank you for having me. Of course. Yes, everyone follow Jess on TikTok. I'll, she'll be tagged in all these clips. So go follow her and thank you so much for doing this i hope this really helps clarify kind of the shortcomings of ngos the un and the geneva convention so people have a better understanding for sure Um, so if anyone has questions obviously ask me and amanda because we've spent a considerable amount of time trying to learn as much as we can and we'd be more than happy to discuss it with you in a very safe space Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of the Great Work Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Amanda. Thank you to Jess for appearing on this episode. I think 
she has such a depth of knowledge on the United Nations and everything that we were able to talk about. I hope this really clears up some points for y'all. Um, next episode will be out next Thursday with the Rational Settler. He is a rabbi and educator who lives in a settlement in the West Bank, and we talk all about what it's like to live on the West Bank and why there's a lot of rumors that are wrong about the settlements in the West Bank. Um, but for now, so look forward to that. But for now, please go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, um, rate me five stars if I deserve it. And thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week.